Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. So welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. Today, I have Rob Hartnett with me, and I am thrilled that he took the opportunity to come on my show. And just before I get started, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I know Rob. So Rob and I both were independent sales consultants when we worked for Miller Hyman. We were doing sales transformation work all over the world, actually. And one of the things that was so neat is we went to one of our annual sales conferences, and Rob was the top performer that year. And he was celebrated as having the best performance and the best accomplishments. And one of the things that I loved seeing is just kind of the natural, people-centric, high-energy, motivating excitement you brought that year to the event. Instead of it being all about you, you really made it all about everyone, and you really celebrated everybody in the organization that year. So I was part of your fan club then, (laughs) and still your fan club now. And since you've gone on to do some amazing things, some independent things, you've written a book, It's All Possible. You've led the It's All Possible podcast, which I'm going to be a guest on soon. Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolute delight, Christine. Absolute delight. And anything you want to just share with us about, you know, how people can find you if they love what you have to say today? For sure. So yeah, you just mentioned the podcast, which I do, the It's All Possible podcast on Apple and Spotify and on the C-Suite network. You can also find me at my business, which is uh, Proteus Leadership. So I'm one of the team at at ProteusLeadership.com based in Melbourne, Australia. So that's the best way to find me. I'm on all socials. I'm not hard to find. So just uh, at Rob Hartnett is the easiest way to do it. So I'm going to dive in with the question of the day. Who is your best boss ever? And why? Tell us all about them. You know, I really struggled with the question. I'm simple. I'm from Australia. No, I'm kidding. I really struggled with it because I've had so many great leaders. I I really have. And and I I have had so many great leaders and I really struggled with so many. So I, I, I did pick one. I did pick one. But is it okay if I mention a few and then I'll get to the one? Absolutely. I find there's so many great leaders because I look for the best in everybody and I find you can learn from everybody. And I've learned so much from so many through my career at different stages at the right times. Clearly one that you and I work with, he wasn't our direct boss, but to me, he was a boss. And that was Sam Reese, uh, the CEO of Miller Hyman, now the CEO at Vistage. And Sam and I still keep in touch. He's still unbelievable. He was on my podcast last year. So Sam, to me, was, was a great leader. I also work for a guy called Steve Vamos, who was the head of country for Apple when I was at Apple in Australia. Steve is now the CEO of Zero, the great accounting software business. At HP, I had so many. Lou Platt, who was the global president and chairman and everything. And, and I did have some interactions with Lou, and I really enjoyed Lou's abilities to communicate to 145,000 employees. It was something that I rarely see even today. And two other Australian-based leaders, John Biskey and Bruce Thompson, who are the Australian-based leaders at, at HP. Andrew Carter and Paul Royce in my computing days when I was an IT reseller. They ran a very hard tough, competitive business, but I learned so much from them. Tim McCall-Jones, who led me at the ad agency Mojo. You didn't have this in here, but I thought I'd put it in. I won a World Yachting Championship in 1994 and sailing with the great American Ken Reed. And Ken's a six-time world champion, president of North Sales. He's just an amazing leader. He's a personal friend. 
Ken certainly, he taught me a lot. I still use his leadership techniques when I'm talking to people today. That's kind of a list. I hope that was okay. You know, I have to tell you something really side note. So ever since I started doing the show, I, I love talking to people about their best boss ever. And what I will say is that it's always unfortunate how many people can only recall stories from their worst boss, but it's very hard for them to scale back and think about where their best bosses might've been. And so I'm listening to that company list, first of all. So those are some great organizations. And it actually brings me a lot of hope just to hear that you actually have such a long list of great leaders. Well, and some of those leaders, you know, like, for example, Sam, now CEO of Vistage, Steve Amos, who is head of country at Apple, is now CEO globally of, uh, of Zero. He was a board member of Telstra and many others and head of Microsoft out here. And so what I find is that the good leaders, if you follow them, you'll see they've got a trajectory. You know, not, it's not that they don't make mistakes. I mean, Sam was incredibly candid with me on my podcast, said some things I didn't think Sam would say. It was just, it was really exciting because he's authentic. So I think... I think you got to look for it though, Christine. I think it's really easy to find the faults in people. We all make mistakes. None of us are perfect. Well, I know you are, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> you're perfect. We all make mistakes. So I think I like to look for the best, but I, I did pick one. So <laughs> yeah. do you want me to talk about the one I picked? Absolutely. Tell us a little bit more about them. Yeah. So the guy I picked for this one, I said there was so many, but a guy by the name of Kim Hamilton. So Kim Hamilton was my boss at HP. He brought me into HP. And, and was my boss there when I was running emerging products. So I came from Apple into HP. The reason I, I put on him is that he was a kind of a low-key leader. And what I mean by that was he really empowered people and he built non-dependent empowered teams, which I think is the real game for, for leaders today. Right. If you've got leader, if you've got if you're a leader and you're complaining, everyone's coming to you and whinging to you, and you've got problems you're solving, and you're really it's really we're working all these hours. Well, what that's that's on you. Because you have you built a team of people who are dependent on you. And what Kim did was come in from Toshiba into HP, which was very interesting because HP had a lot of people that just basically promoted internally because it's such a great company. And Kim came in from Toshiba and he realized that they needed someone different to run emerging products. This is a newer products that were coming to market. You'll laugh when I say this, but one of my emerging products I ran was color printing, right? So oh, yeah. <laughs> going back, we're going back, we're going back mid nineties. Dating so, yourself now, yes. Dating myself, but there was also a whole bunch of uh, other products I had. But and they wanted someone different, and so he fought for me. I came from Apple. In Apple, we were just we're evangelists, we're innovators, yeah. we're always always the underdog. So he he needed that kind of spirit, and so. Kim fought for me. And I remember the interviews I had at HP and the first interview I went there and I just wanted to be there. I just wanted to join HP so bad. And they, they kind of were a bit edgy with me. And, and it's mainly because my greatest reference, who I thought would be my, my golden reference, basically told them, oh, he won't last there because you guys are too slow for him. No. I'm like, thank you. That's not exactly <laughs> what I wanted you to say, but I, I'm in to his yes. point. And so I remember... I remember Kim really fighting for me and Kim saying, look, can you come back? I've got one more interview with, with, with John Biskey, who was the head of Australia at the time. And I came back in and I sat there with John and John and Kim were there and John was running it. And John just said, I'm just not sure, Rob, you know, I'm just not sure you'd be able to fit into the culture here. I don't think you'd fit the culture. I'm, I think it's, I think you're really not. I think a great, great record. I think, but I just don't think HP is the place for you. And I was so devastated. And then Kim kind of jumped in and he let me tell my story. And at the end of it, before I was going, I said to John, yeah, John, I really appreciate your view and the whole thing, but I'm coming here one day. And John turned around to Kim and he said, if that's your attitude, Hartnett, you can come now. <laughs> that was so cool. That is I, great. Oh it was Kim fighting for me. And then Kim, when I had to do a lot of things, I had to break a lot of rules at HP or establish things like we've always done it this way here. Kim would back me. And I think it's so important as a leader, he would back me. He would go, yep, I want you to, yeah, that's fine. No, I'm backing Rob. 
And Christine, you'll love, you love, you love this little story. When I went to HP, HP used to have fleets of fleets of cars, like had all GM cars, right? So the car park at HP in Melbourne was full of GM cars, all these General Motors cars, right? Because they all bought them on a the lease for the salary plan. I was driving a Porsche 911. I, and that was my car. Breaking the rules. Because at, at Apple, like that was almost a standard car. Like four out of five of us had Porsches. So I've I've come up with my 911 and it was this hot car. It was, it was so loud. It used to set off car alarms in the GM cars. And then someone went and complained. A leader behind my back came and complained to Kim and said, hey, who's this guy you've hired? How much money are you paying him? He's driving a freaking Porsche 911. And you know what Kim said? Kim said to this guy, this leader, a peer of Kim's, he said, he said, yeah, it's good. We're all getting them. <laughs> Nice. Join my team, right? So at every point, even with a sense of humor, he had your back. And he he empowered me. He empowered my team. He allowed me to bring on people. He allowed me to cut through red tape and really transform. And with John's support. But Kim was just an amazing leader, backed me in so many ways. And, uh, yeah, and when I went on to my next role to head up the uh, personal computer business in HP, you know, Kim was my biggest supporter. I think that's such a good example, that point about being able to cut through red tape and break rules. I'm working with a client today who was just talking about being an entrepreneur and we were kind of comparing notes. And I said, like, I worked for Chrysler and I didn't feel supported in being an entrepreneur. I actually am much more supported as an external resource to businesses who ask me for all of that difficult out of the box thinking, because when I'm in the doors of the company, they don't appreciate it. <laughs> They're like, we wish you'd go away now. <laughs> Well, you're right, you're right, and it depends on the company. And certainly, you know, coming from Apple, innovation was such a part of what we did, and creative thinking and out of the box thinking was so it was such a great place to be. So coming to HP, that was not what they normally did, but we did it. And I remember once I was I did a, um, a competition, so I had to get these particular devices really selling fast. And and so what I did was I put together this competition, and the competition was I was you know it was based around sales, of course, based around sales and volume and, and sell through. But I was going to reward the top sellers, and they were typically Typically, like the, the sellers I was talking about for this product were in retail. So they're between the ages of about sort of 19 and 23. I said, I'm going to fly you to Melbourne, which many of them hadn't even been to. I'm going to put you up at a five-star hotel. I'm going to take you to dinner. Then we're going to go down the river. We're going to go down the river by boat to see ACDC in concert. And you've got great tickets. Now, when I launched this, it didn't take off. I thought this was the most amazing package. It didn't take off. It, it was like a three-month campaign. The first month, it was dead. I rang around a few of the dealers who work with HP and I said, what are you, are you getting behind this? And they go, is it real? Because HP has never, this is so un-HP. We have never done it. We think it's bullshit. <laughs> there we go. This is true out of the box. Welcome to the party, my friend. And once I got that one over the line, oh my God, it was game on. But, but HP just didn't do that kind of stuff. And even though John and Kim had backed me, the, the reaction from all the, the channel was like, oh no, it's HP, it's boring. We might go and see Mozart, you know, so you might go to the opera. ACDC me for like 18 and 20 year olds. And they would, they would have had such a great time. That is fantastic. I love that story. That is a great story. Any others from some of the bosses that you've worked for? So you had such an incredible list. I love the examples that you're telling though. These are great. Yeah. Look, I mean, I'll talk about Lou Platt who's, uh, who's passed away now, but Lou was an amazing leader. As I said to you, one of the things that amazed me about Lou was he has staff for 145,000. Right. And this is remember, this is the days before Teams and, and you know Slack and all these kind of tools. But I knew I was in Blackburn in Melbourne, Australia, and I knew exactly what Lou was thinking. Why? Because Lou, every month Lou would make a call. He would do a voice call where he would he would address everybody. And everyone just put the phones down, put the put the email down, and we listened to Lou for 45 minutes of where he was taking the business. 
And at one point, I just felt so connected with where he was going. And I'd read Forbes magazine and I'd read all these different magazines that, you know, also about HP and about Lou and all the big companies. And, and, he, and I was a big, huge, huge provider of Intel because I sold a lot of Intel PCs and I was head of PCs at the time. And I remember being at a Gartner conference and there was a whole lot of rumors around. What had happened, Lou had been at a Gartner conference, I think in Italy, and was on his flight back to the US. And he'd said something, he was a very off-the-cuff authentic leader, and they'd misinterpreted it and made this kind of really big headline. And I saw it and I went, oh my God, there's a Gartner conference happening in Australia. They might say something about HP. So I said to my colleagues, I'm going to email Lou and let him know that this has been misinterpreted. So when he lands in the US... He'll, he'll understand it. And I just got laughed. I got laughed out. Honestly, Christine people said, yeah, Lou Black, you want to email Lou Black? Good on you. Like, like you know, Australians <laughs> can be like pretty sarcastic. Yeah, good on you. May have a go at that one. Yeah, call Lou. <laughs> right? So I literally emailed Lou and said, Lou, I read this. I'm at the Gartner Conference in Brisbane. Do you want me to say anything else? Because I'm going to be on stage because I was actually on a panel. If it comes up, I just want to let you know this is how the presses have interpreted it. That was it. I left it. I didn't know. Next morning, 8 a.m. Hi, Rob. Lou here. Thanks so much for letting me know. Yeah, I made a kind of a boo-boo in Italy. Didn't mean to say what I said. They misinterpreted it by the time I was on the flight. Thank you for picking it up and working the time zones for me. Here's the, here's the paragraph to use if it comes in a question. Thank you so much, Lou Platt. Wow. wow. I literally printed that out and just walked around the, the office for like an hour. Right. a badge. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? The thing yeah. about that, Christine, was me reaching out to Lou on that and him coming back authentically, and it was from him, not his EA. But it made such a difference because about 12 months later, I realised, not only me, but my team, and I realised that we needed to build a, a factory in Australia to build HP PCs. I guess his approval we needed. And Lou's. <laughs> and Lou yeah. came out and opened it for us, right? And when he came to Australia and he met me, he, got, he knew. And it was just that. It was 12 months ago. He knew we'd had that connection and it made such a difference, I think, to getting it approved for the first time. And secondly, him coming out with his wife to open up the new factory in Australia. And so I think, you know, if you reach out to leaders, you know, I was generally doing it from a place of care and empathy because I could, I've, I've had myself misquoted in press. You probably have had some similar things too. So I could see the position it could cause. And of course, HP is a public company. It's a big deal for a lot of people. And it was simply a misinterpretation. So I love what he did in that area. John Biskey was... John Biskey, who is the uh, leader in Australia for a long, long time of all the personal computer business and so much business, he was there for many, many years. What I love about John, as I said to you, when, when I left HP, John and I left about the same time, although he'd been there some 25 years or something. When I was leaving HP, John saw me and he said, he said, Rob, you know, the day you came, you first joined us. I said to myself, and I said to Kim, your boss, don't worry, he'll come along, but we'll change him. We'll change him. We'll get him to fit. He said, really? you know what? You changed us. I love hearing that. That's powerful. And when you have a leader, he doesn't have to say that, you know, and John would write Christmas cards to every one of his staff every year personally and hand them out. It must have been like 350, but he would do them. That was what John did. He knew everybody. He knew everybody's name. So people like that, Bruce Thompson, who was his leader, was very similar in, in many ways as well. They empowered people. They backed people. They trusted people. So they were, to me, very authentic leaders very approachable leaders, but also importantly, they were leaders who did two things that I teach people every week to do. I teach new emerging leaders every week to do. They catch the good stuff and they call out the bad stuff and they do it early. They catch the good stuff early. They encourage you. They thank you. They recognize improvement. They do it. They don't walk past it. Don't forget about it. And the other thing they do is they'll call out bad behavior if they see it. They call out bad behavior. And that might be, that doesn't mean the person's bad. It just means it's not aligned to what we're doing. 
It's not what we do around here. It's affecting the rest of your team. Be that me or anybody else, they would call it out and say, no, you kind of can't say that or you can't do that or you, whatever it happens to be. But I love, but you'll find the best leaders in the world will do that. They'll catch, they'll catch the good stuff. They'll call out the bad stuff. And they're known for doing it. It's amazing. And so I, I find it interesting that both of us made the leap from sales transformation to leadership transformation. And so even though this question's not necessarily on script, I'm curious for you, why that transition for you? I know why I transitioned. Well, for me, I'd say it was simple, but it's not. It took a lot of time to work it out. It was really through my work at, at Miller Hyman Group. And when I was involved in the large transformations and mid-sized transformations and small transformations. So whether I was small, large, global, so we worked on some big ones. You know, you and I worked on some very large, very large transformations. And people would come to me for the next one and go, Rob, what's the secret sauce? What's the secret sauce to making sure it works, it sticks, it's adaptable, you know, it keeps on going? What, what is the secret sauce? And I really got it down to three things, Kristen. I still believe in those three things. The three things are leadership, accountability, and discipline. And if any one of those three is missing, it will fall over or it will be short-lived. Once I looked at that and I came back to going, you know what, but it's the leader who really drives the accountability and the discipline. And it's, it's the leadership and management coming together. Leadership gets you going and management keeps you going, right? So when I looked at that, I said, it starts with leadership. So to me, when I looked at what I was doing in the sales space, I thought, oh, there's more I can do here. There's more I can do. And I have a passion for leadership. I love leadership. I love seeing it. I love, I love seeing leaders lead. I see leaders grow. And I, I love it. And you're probably the same, but I've had a number of people who work for me still write to me and go, thank you for impacting me. Thank you for where I am now. And they're in great positions. And I love it. I love seeing their LinkedIn profile and they're going to some huge role. And, and, they, and you had something to do with that, hopefully, somewhere along the line. That's why I wanted to get into leadership because I could impact. And I think it was, when I was starting with John Maxwell, and John Maxwell said this, he said, the more leaders you can impact is the more people you will impact. And that's the way that was the catalyst for me because how do I get scale in this, right? So how do I get scale? So the more leaders I can impact, the more people I can impact. And we can have more transformational leaders who lead with kindness and with empathy and understanding. And that's okay. And you realize you don't have to be this authoritative, my way or the highway, you know, highly directed, don't know how to spell diversity type person, then we don't need that. It's funny that you say that we're so aligned in that. Like I used to see huge transformation projects. And just like you said, it was really reliant on the leader, but it was also reliant on how much people wanted to follow that leader because lots of leaders can come in and say, okay, everybody scoot over. We have the next big change or we have the next big assignment. But if people weren't engaged and bought in, it was, it was just a long, miserable, frustrating process. So as an outsider, I had very little to do, ironically, with which ones were successful. It was usually if, uh, if I could align with a fantastic leader who had some, just like you said, some of these qualities, I would just find those changes would go so well. And, you know, I just got to be there and cheer it, cheer it on. Yeah, you, and it's so much easier for you and so much easier for the team to have those transformational leaders who are willing to do that. And luckily, I've been able to work with a number of those really good leaders. And oftentimes, and they would be fantastic catalysts for me too, because when it came to doing big change, I'd say, would you be happy to talk to this particular client who's looking to do a similar thing? I can't tell you how many, I remember one, one major bank, and they said, I spoke to you, I spoke to this guy who was very successful in financial services. And they said, gee, it sounds like a lot of hard work. Like he was actually like telling us about all the hard stuff we've got to do. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's kind of why I got him to talk to you. Yeah, but he was like really saying there's a lot of stuff to do and can take a while. And you know, we're not so sure that, uh, gee, we really want to do this. That's <laughs> so, well, good, because you're not going to waste my time, anybody else's. So you need right. to understand going from A 
to be is not as simple. It's not a straight line. Oh yeah. No, I can set you up for success, but you got to willing to put in the effort. Right. You don't want to be, you know, living through those types of transformations and having your name attached to them. They're brutal. Yes. You know, (laughs) it's just going to go south really fast. So one of the questions that I love to ask, and I think, you know, I'm really curious about your answer on this. What do you think the impact is to the bottom line of working for a best boss ever? In my experience, it's been massive. And again, I think not only bottom line, I think there's a, I think there's bottom line, but also for me, what I've seen working for a, you know, a best boss ever has been an increase in things like customer set, uh, increase in employee retention, increase in innovation, employee uh, satisfaction themselves, culture. If you do a culture pulse, it's always good and getting better. But absolutely, I mean, if I look at one, just to give an example of this, and, um, and I can't work the numbers out, but uh, one of the other best boss ever I worked for was a guy called Anthony McMahon. And Anthony and I were the ones who pulled the PC business together. But I worked for my, Anthony was my boss. But Anthony was so, so sharp. Spent many, many years as a very senior leader SAP after HP. But Anthony, you know, pulled together a team and knew the strengths of all of us. He knew my strength was in the inspirational empowerment, getting everyone on board, getting the team together, getting, getting our channel members to follow us to build these programs. Anthony's was about tasks and projects and pulling the, pulling the team together. He knew where his strengths were. He was great as strategic leader. He was great at stakeholder management. And he just pulled a fantastic team together. And that allowed us to do what we do. Now, here's what we did. We took HPPCs, this is to give you an idea on metrics, from number 17 in the country, in Australia, to number one in under 18 months. Now, you work the metrics on volume of shipping of product. Now, you talk about bottom line, we, we dramatically changed the bottom line. We got recognised you know, right around the world for what we did. Um, I mean, I won a HP High Achiever Award for it, which was kind of embarrassing because there was so many people involved. Um, but you know what we also did? We grew our channel members. So the channel members who sold our product, who hung with us for so long when we were 15 and 16, and we took them to number one. The volume they did, you know, the the families that we made wealthy, the kids we put through private schools, that's bottom line for me. That's what we did. You know, we did a good bottom line at HP. We affected so many more people. That's amazing. Great story. That is amazing. So what advice, if you had to sum it up, what advice would you say to any of the leaders that are listening to the show that are trying to become a best boss ever? What would be your pieces of wisdom for them? You know, it's funny I'd asked this question by a leader this week. So it was great, great prep, although I didn't know you were going to ask it. I think the number one thing in this day and age, because we're coming through a pandemic, we're coming out the other end. I'm in Melbourne. We are, if you don't know, we've been the most locked down city in the world past Buenos Aires about three weeks ago. We're world champions, Christine. We're very happy about No, we're not. Yeah, um, right. Winning, winning so the COVID award, right? We win the COVID, COVID yeah. award. I'm putting this in context. So the number one thing in any, in any case, but I think more so now, is create a culture of psychological safety. If you haven't got psychological safety, you will not have any innovation. Andy Stanley says a great quote, and he says, leaders who aren't prepared to listen will be surrounded by people with nothing to say. If you have psychological safety, you'll have innovation, you'll have diversity, you'll have great ideas. You'll have people coming to you. You'll have people who are empowered and non-dependent, right? 
So I think that's the maker. Psychological safety is so important, and that means reaching out to your people. That means that means your people need your visibility, not your great vision, right? Right now, right, right. So connect with your people, making sure they feel comfortable. Are the ideas coming? If they're not coming and everyone's going quiet, what's going on? So that's the first one. So psychological safety for me, have that kind of culture of innovation and ideas. It even doesn't matter how big your group is or how small your group is. A really great leader told me a good story he did when he was driving up startups. He was a serial entrepreneur. And one of the things I used to do was weekly failure meetings. So every Friday, you had to bring along something that you failed at that week, but you learned from. Right. And every and you and no one could come without it. You couldn't come along and laugh at me, Christine, right? You can say, oh, Rob, you're an idiot, but you didn't do anything, right? So everyone came to the meeting and you had to come along. What did you do this week? And it could be I sent a direct mail out, it just didn't work. I tried something on social media and it didn't work. We did a TikTok video and it went and it did work. You know, or you had to come along with something you tried that was different but didn't work. And it's the fastest way to test. Do we have a culture of innovation? Do we feel psychologically safe? Now, another colleague of mine, funnily enough, another guy on a podcast earlier, told me a great story. When he tried this whole idea, he came in to talk about not failure meetings, just where were we up to of all our projects? Tell us everything. And he went around the room and I said, how did that go? And he said, dismal. <laughs> No one volunteered anything. Right. And he said, so I closed the meeting down in 15 minutes. And I went around, did my discovery and said, what, why weren't you prepared to share? And they said, well, we only share outcomes at the end and we're, we're halfway through and it's not going so well and we don't want to tell anybody that. And he realized straight away, I haven't got to, these people are not psychologically safe, this environment. I have to change that up. So as a leader, he brought that on himself. And he said, no, I want to go under the hood. I want to know what the problems are. So he showed, and again, first thing, model the way, right? It's the number one thing from Kuzis and Posner from the Leadership Challenge, just model the way. First thing he did was go, hey, this is where I failed. Guys, this is the project I'm working on. It's not going well. I thought I'd be going a lot better. I'm missing targets. So one, model the way. Secondly, you know, psychological safety. And really work on, work on this whole thing of, of non-dependent, empowered, effective people. Great leaders create more leaders. If you actually think about that, if you think about all the best boss ever, as you probably heard on your program or spoken to, they will have created more leaders. How do you create more leaders? Like, and the way you do that is, well, who's replacing you? So you're a leader. Who's replacing you? Is anyone in your team? Or are you going to go, God, no way would any of these people take my job, right? Well, then I'd have a serious think about how you answered that because, because hey, you're going to be stuck in that job forever. So who's, who's your next replacement? And when you're recruiting your next team member, are you recruiting them? Would they be someone you'd be happy to hand the reins over to? Those are some fantastic words of wisdom. So all I can say is thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, it's been fantastic, Christine. It's so good to connect with you again. Really, really, really liked it. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.